So when I opened the door, I found that it's on fire, and my husband called 911 right away. Fatal house fire. A child is among the dead in a Vancouver triple tragedy. Plus... It's ethics. You're supposed to be accountable for what you do. On the eve of a vote, Surrey residents weigh in on the city possibly shuttering the ethics office until the next election. And... A courageous Campbell River customer stops a shoplifting suspect at a store notorious for brazen thefts. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with a tragedy in an East Vancouver home this weekend. Five members of a family were inside the house this morning when it suddenly caught fire, claiming the lives of three people, including a child. Grace Key has our top story. Vancouver neighbours say they woke up to someone screaming in the alleyway, crying out to help a family trapped in a house fire. Early in the morning, around 7 o'clock, my younger daughter ran into my bedroom telling me, Mom, something happened outside because she heard someone was yelling loudly and also, uh, you know, some, some noisy like that. So when I opened the door, I found that it's on fire and my husband called 911 right away. When Vancouver firefighters arrived to the home on the 2800 block of East 41st Avenue, the basement suite was fully engulfed in flames. Two adults, a grandmother and father, made it out of the home and were rushed to hospital. Prior to transport, these individuals advised our crews that there were still two more adults and one child inside the burning home. Our firefighters courageously entered the home and were able to locate the three unaccounted for individuals and bring them out from the fire. Tragically, the grandfather, mother and a child under 10 years of age all perished in the fire. Extensive and intense efforts by our crews to resuscitate were unsuccessful and tragically all three were pronounced deceased at the scene. According to neighbours, the child was a boy and the family was originally from Hong Kong. Nice family and it's just before the Chinese New Year, right? I know, it's, it's really... The grandmother suffered smoke inhalation and the father has extensive burns. The fire started in the basement. No word yet on a cause, but it doesn't appear to be suspicious. There were smoke alarms in the house, but it's unclear if they were working. Firefighters are reminding everyone to make sure your smoke alarms are operating properly. Grace Key, Global News. Vancouver police are investigating a suspicious fire last night at the Ivanhoe Hotel. The fire broke out in a suite at about 10 o'clock last night. Firefighters were able to quickly contain it and stop it from spreading to other units. No injuries were reported. However, there is some water damage to the building. Uh, it wasn't a large fire, but it was extensive in the sense that it traveled through the structure. So the fire started on in a room on the second floor. Uh, quickly, it either started in the wall or transitioned quickly to inside the wall and traveled up the wall through the ceiling and into the floor or the ceiling of the second floor, floor of the third floor uh, before we were able to finally root it out and extinguish it. Vancouver police say it's also investigating after shots were fired into the side of a house. It happened in the city's Killarney neighborhood at about 11.30 last night. Fortunately, no one was injured, no arrests have been made, and it's not known if the incident was targeted. 
Surrey City Council is set to vote tomorrow night on a controversial motion to suspend all new ethics investigations. As Julia Foy reports, many are asking why the bylaw amendment is being requested now, months ahead of the municipal vote. What are they trying to hide? Surrey taxpayers are facing an ethical dilemma. It's always good to um, investigate ethics. On Monday night, Surrey Mayor and Council will vote on a proposed bylaw to suspend investigations of the city's ethics commissioner. I think they shouldn't be doing that. Why? Well, it's ethics. You're supposed to be accountable for what you do. One councillor is furious over the plan. If this bylaw goes through tomorrow night, any complaints that would be coming from tomorrow night onwards, the uh, ethics commissioner will be not allowed to investigate until after the election. The next municipal election is nine months away. Anna says ethics commissioner Reese Harding is expected to remain on the job until his two-year contract expires in July. But if the bylaw passes, he may not be able to fulfill one of the core functions of the job namely adopt procedures, policies and protocols designed to ensure that formal complaints are fully and fairly investigated. What is the real reason behind Mayor McCallum and his team trying to push through, uh, really silence the community? In September, the Surrey Police Vote campaign filed a complaint against McCallum, making several allegations. Clearly, we have at Surrey Police Vote an ethics complaint against Mayor Doug McCallum over conflict of interest, over his indemnification for the legal fees for his criminal charges, and now that could be put in grave doubt. Anna says current ethics files will carry on, but new ones will not if the bylaw passes. We should not be voting to determine whether or not the ethics commissioner stays and continues to work on files between now and the election. That's, we should not be doing that. That's just wrong. And taxpayers agree. The ethics are kind of important and it's, uh, let's, let's keep investigating. I don't know why they were suspended. Doesn't make any sense. Julia Foy, Global News. A Chilliwack mother is calling for the creation of a new Amber Alert system, but for adults. Alina Durham's plea comes on the somber one-year anniversary her 23-year-old daughter, Shailene Bell, went missing. Shailene was located more than four months later. RCMP concluded her death was not criminal in nature. Loved ones remembering Shailene's memory today with a candlelight vigil. The Shailene's Missing Adult Alert would notify the public about adults who go missing under suspicious circumstances similar to that of an Amber Alert. It's been horrendous. Um, I still think every day that it's not real. Um, Shailene stood for the good, like I said, and families need this. They need this. We have alert for Silver Alert. For people with dementia, we have child abduction alert, we have a weather alert, we have a COVID-19 app. We do not have a missing adult alert. Durham says she's working with MP Mark Strahl to get the bill passed. A petition to bring awareness to the cause has received more than 2,500 signatures. Metro Vancouver was set to vote last week on a controversial redevelopment plan in South Surrey, one that conservationists claim will ruin a salmon-bearing habitat. But the decision was paused partly due to lack of consultation with the local First Nations. Paul Johnson has the latest. We've always been told here this, this waterway is one of the last unprotected natural state gems in the, in the South Fraser area. 
If you take a look at where the Semiamu First Nation is situated, right at the mouth of the Little Campbell River, you can understand why they feel they ought to be consulted about upstream development projects that would affect it. But elected chief Harley Chapel says that's not what happened here. Unfortunately, this, this project was only brought to our attention as the nation at the 11th hour. A few kilometers upstream, the city of Surrey wants to allow the expansion of warehouses and light industry. Fisheries scientists have warned the development would threaten the Little Campbell's salmon stocks, which they say are still fairly healthy. Surrey is coming forward with a proposal for the future. At its last meeting Friday, the Metro Vancouver Regional Planning Authority voted narrowly to send the idea back to staff for further study, putting the brakes on the plan for now. Activists are taking this as a win. Now what's happened is uh, finally common sense prevailed. While a setback in a major development project isn't an extraordinary thing in itself, the issue of how the city of Surrey did or did not talk to the Semiamu First Nation is a bit of a mystery. At that Friday meeting, Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum appeared to predict what the chief told us. Surrey has really worked hard with, with the um, First Nations, and I personally have had a lot of communications um, um, with them o- over the years. One proponent of the plan said the idea's been on the table now for 50 years. Presumably, plenty of time to get things sorted out with the Semiamu First Nation, who, of course, have their own rather lengthy history of infrastructure planning for the Little Campbell River. From our teachings and our understanding, we've occupied Semiamu Bay for in the area of 10,000 years. In South Surrey, Paul Johnson, Global News. BC's Education Ministry says school districts are focused on in-person learning as they keep school sports tournaments paused. On Tuesday, the ban on youth sports tournaments will be lifted so their club and community tournaments are permitted. But tournaments between schools are still not being allowed given concerns about staff shortages in schools. But a petition calling for the return of school sports tournaments has been launched by parents. I do know that some of the school tournaments um, that the school system and and teachers and uh, the school districts are working together on whether those are viable right now or not. And that's more because of what we are seeing, um, that there are strains on our uh, schools across the province. And they're not coming forth and saying they're going to reconcile it quickly and they don't obviously understand the magnitude of how frustrated not only the students, but the parents and everybody, the school, I don't even understand if the ministry knows what it takes to put on tournaments, how much time you need in advance. A cross-border exemption put in place to help residents adversely affected by the November floods ends on Monday night. It allowed B.C. residents affected by widespread flooding to cross into the U.S. for essential supplies and immediately return to B.C. without providing a PCR test. The federal government says that exemption ends at 9 p.m. Monday. The storms washed out key highways and caused millions of dollars in damage. The exemptions led to some initial confusion with travelers being wrongly ticketed for violating quarantine restrictions. 
And starting tomorrow, the Provincial Court of B.C. is resuming in-person trials and proceedings as scheduled. They were temporarily suspended due to the spread of the Omicron variant. Court officials are reminding everyone not to attend in person if you have any COVID-19 symptoms or have to self-isolate due to an exposure. Saanich police are hoping the public can help identify the suspect in a road rage attack. Police allege this man was involved in the unprovoked attack back on November 8th of 2021. They say the suspect got out of his vehicle, leaned through the victim's open car window and allegedly punched the other driver in the face. If you know this driver, you're asked to contact Saanich police or Crime Stoppers. A B.C. hockey community is paying tribute to a couple who suddenly died after a tree came crashing into their home. Last night, members of the West Vancouver Minor Hockey Association were out on the ice honouring the memory of Mike Sharp and Caroline Helbig. Money raised from the commemorative game will go towards a scholarship set up in their honour. That memorial grant supports interests and passions of the couple, including hockey, writing and environmental projects. Earlier this month, the pair was killed after a windstorm sent a tree crashing into their West Vancouver home. It was, first of all, just an unbelievably rare tragedy. It, there were one in a million couple that it took a one in a trillion event to, uh, to, 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 to have this happen to them. We're trying to raise not only awareness and uh, for them and their community efforts, but also just honour uh, what Mike did. After the break, another pandemic Lunar New Year, a second celebration subdued because of COVID-19 and what's being planned in Vancouver's Chinatown. And later, amid a spike in brazen thefts, how a customer in Campbell River fearlessly stopped a shoplifting suspect. For the second year in a row, the Lunar New Year Parade in Vancouver's Chinatown will not be going ahead during COVID-19. As Kristen Robinson reports, the community hit hard by anti-Asian racism is welcoming the public with a hybrid of virtual and in-person celebrations to mark the Year of the Tiger. Inside Chinatown's Queen Cafe, pastry chefs are rolling out a Year of the Tiger fundraiser. A steam basket set filled with a taste of their signature white rabbit cookies, 20% of proceeds going towards St. Paul's Hospital. It's really important for us to celebrate Lunar New Year and keep it alive um, so that we just kind of remember where we came from and keep traditions alive. Those traditions more subdued in 2022 as most celebrations go online again. Hopefully we can get rid of the bad luck of last year and have some good luck this year? Yes. At least we have the gardens. I think last year was completely like shut down. The Han Singh Athletic Club's Lion Dance performance, a special show for this crowd at Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden, with the Lunar New Year Parade cancelled for a second year. It is kind of disheartening to not see a parade happening this year, but we know we will come back stronger next year. Year of the Tiger signifies courage, bravery and strength, which the heritage community has shown while being targeted by anti-Asian hate during the pandemic. It's a cruel sign of just how um, terrible racism is and can be. The racism UBC history professor Henry Yu says is already there, triggered not only by COVID, but controversies like money laundering or high housing prices. We tend to scapegoat Asians 
and Chinatown as a symbolic part of Chinese Canadian history and culture and community becomes a target for a lot of that violence as well. Recent graffiti vandalism on the south side of Dr. Sun Yat-sen quickly removed before the garden's wall was disrespected again. But Chinatown is writing its own history and Yu says it's long been a symbol of resilience. So that resilience in some sense is, is a, a symbol of hope, you know, especially at a moment like Chinese Lunar New Year. Andrew Han hoping this Lunar New Year is wrapped in prosperity. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And for the second year in a row, perhaps the greatest concentration of Lunar New Year decorations outside of China is in New Westminster. The Sapperton neighborhood coming together again for Year of the Tiger. At least 75 homes are decorated. The tradition started in 2021 when Elaine Sue wanted her then two-year-old son to understand this holiday. She sent 150 letters to her neighbors asking if they'd put up Lunar New Year decorations so her child would feel like this cultural festival mattered just like Christmas. The response was overwhelming. It was last year. A neighbor dropped off a... Um a request to have the neighbors help celebrate um, the new year with them. And so she sent out a note last year with all the pictures of all, everybody celebrating last year and we just sort of carried on. Okay, it seems pretty successful. But everyone's I got think something, so, huh? yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of okay. cool. Coming up, Parliament Hill protest. As the convoy continues, a look at what's being accomplished and what could be next. Plus, why the bodies of this family that froze to death trying to cross the border may not return to India. The bodies of four people who died trying to cross the Canada-U.S. border in southern Manitoba are not expected to return to their home country. Jagdish and Vyashabel Patel, their 11-year-old daughter Vyangi and their 3-year-old son Dharmik all perished earlier this month trying to enter the U.S., a relative says it's expected their bodies will remain in Canada and not be flown to India for the funeral. Their relative says family in India decided it would be too emotionally difficult to see the four dead and too expensive to transport the bodies. It's hoped there may be a funeral in Canada. A 47-year-old man faces charges in the U.S. of human trafficking. In Ottawa, the truckers' protest convoy on Parliament Hill continues tonight. Although there are fewer vehicles and people now than at the peak on Saturday, there are still enough to clog the parliamentary precinct. Chief political correspondent David Aiken has been on the Hill all weekend and reports on what's next. On Saturday, there were more than 10,000 people around Parliament Hill. Uh, very noisy, but by and large peaceful. The tones changed. Only a couple of thousand now. A little more testy, a little more confrontational. Businesses near Parliament Hill, including Ontario provincial liquor stores, would open their doors Sunday after protesters the night before verbally and physically assaulted staff for trying to enforce the very public health rules on mask wearing and vaccine passports that the protesters are here to overturn. One group stormed a nearby shelter, assaulted a security guard, and stole meals that had been prepared for the homeless. It's been super challenging for the staff. It's, it's very discouraging. So yesterday was a very, very difficult today. We're hoping for better today. At the National War Memorial, a protester was filmed dancing on the tomb of the unknown soldier. And then, overnight, 
Some people urinated on the shrine. Ottawa police say no arrests have been made, but they are investigating vandalism at the memorial and to police property. Protest organizers did not respond to Global News' requests for interviews. So what's next? Canada's vaccine mandate for international truckers is staying in place, and in any event, Washington has imposed the very same rule for the U.S. As for other public health restrictions these protesters oppose, those are rules put in place by provincial and municipal governments. In any event, the House of Commons will open for business Monday morning as planned. And though Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his family were relocated this weekend as a precautionary measure, the PM remains in the national capital region and will be back to work virtually on Monday. Meanwhile, Ottawa Police Services and the convoy organizers are trying to negotiate a safe evacuation of all the vehicles off Parliament Hill, but will they be gone by Monday? Almost certainly, they will not. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. And a protest convoy snarled traffic at the U.S. border crossing at Coots, Alberta. The Canada Border Services Agency says it remains open, but only foot traffic and emergency vehicles were getting through. The RCMP issued an advisory telling motorists to stay away or expect to experience extensive delays. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney has called the solidarity demonstration against mandates unlawful. And coming up next, embracing the elements. You're doing the same motions, uh, but it definitely, definitely is a little bit harder. How not even a frozen river is getting in the way of these Winnipeg paddlers. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Excuse me. Uh. I'm how a brave customer stopped a shoplifting suspect at a Campbell River store and what police are saying about it. That's after weather. But first, Maritimers are dealing with the aftermath of a powerful nor'easter that swept up from the U.S. this weekend with heavy snowfall turning into freezing rain that left streets and sidewalks looking more like skating rinks along with fierce winds causing widespread outages. Global's Alexa McLean has more. I still can't believe how the cars can drive. Like many Atlantic Canadians, Beachville resident Malik Abrahim is no stranger to winter storms. It started getting crazy. But says the aftermath of a powerful nor'easter that's impacted millions of people across the northeastern United States and the Maritimes is no joke. This is actually the sidewalk, but now it's like all the snow is covered. There's nothing. You can't even walk on there. I'm actually walking on the road right now. Upwards of 20 centimeters fell in downtown Halifax within the span of a few hours. Other parts of Nova Scotia saw 40 centimeters, according to Environment Canada. We've had 400 people engaged in the field for the duration of this event. Nova Scotia Power and its contractors were on standby to respond to outages, which crept in as the wind picked up, impacting 29,000 customers when all was said and done across the province. Majority of outages with this winter storm were caused by the high winds, bringing trees and branches into our infrastructure, causing power outages. The coastal community of Eastern Passage is particularly vulnerable to storm surge and high winds, both of which made for challenging conditions as crews worked to restore power. 
This storm brought a fair amount of precipitation in a short period of time, so travel conditions were a bit challenging during the storm. It also brought pretty significant winds. We had many areas that had over 100 kilometers an hour that uh, challenged our crews while they were working. The crew lead in Eastern Passage expressed his gratitude to community members who brought them hot drinks and snacks while they dealt with blustery winds. Alexa McLean, Global News, Halifax. All right, now to Winnipeg, where people are finding new ways to embrace the winter season. Check this out. The Manitoba Canoe and Kayak Centre has outfitted a handful of its canoes with blades toddlers can enjoy the hobby on the ice. The club's manager says the people in this video are part of their master's program, and they train all year for summer competitions. However, he says many people just do it for fun. We have to use a specific type of paddle that has spikes on the end so that we can basically spike the ice and pull ourselves forward. It's similar in ways where you're always sitting in the same spots, you're doing the same motions, uh, but it definitely, it definitely is a little bit harder. Wow. As we bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell. Cool. Did you know that's a thing? I've never seen it before. First Nor time for me. I. Yourself? Where there's a will, there's a way. I had I no like idea. I like it. It's nice to get creative. Me as well. It's a beautiful active. thing. As is what's behind you there. That's from this evening. Yeah, we've had a bit of a mixed bag through the day today. Rainfall warning has now entered across Metro Vancouver. We're still seeing the rainfall warning in effect for the Fraser Valley, but we managed to also see some breaks out there. And this is a gorgeous shot that was captured in a white rock. So thank you so much, Donna. And I've got some photos that were sent in from some rainbows even some double ones as well. And this was captured in Richmond. So thank you so much, Cheryl. So we are seeing drier conditions out of the airport. Temperatures are sitting at six, but very windy. A westerly wind right now sustained at 40. We do have gusts just over 50 kilometers per hour. The winds will ease late this evening. So something to keep in mind, but it is going to dry out. And we are looking at a mix of sun and cloud to kick things off for the morning hours for back to work and school. So the rainfall warning is still in effect. It'll likely end quite shortly, but that's for Abbotsford extending in towards Chilliwack. We still have a significant amount of snow, possibly if you're traveling along the mountain passes and extending in towards the southeastern corners and the rain has eased off for many areas across the island as well. Wind gusts peaked today, just over 50 out of the airport. Sisters Island up to 78 areas near Tawasson, 46 in Abbotsford this evening with the gust just over 50. Currently though for Abbotsford, a gust up to 37 and areas near Seashelt rather closer to 40 kilometers per hour and Powell River rather just over 40. Overnight tonight, so we are going to see drier conditions partly cloudy, cooling off down to two for tomorrow morning. A heads up, it'll be at around four degrees, and then we've got a mix of sun and cloud and pleasant with highs closer to six. We do still have that snowfall for the interior with an additional 10 and up to 20 for most areas, extending and continuing into the morning hours before it really does start to ease off. And check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Sea to sky is still up to two and four centimeters, and then all the highways that are below that will still see heavy snowfall leading in towards the morning hours. So check in, but hope to merit as well as the Allison Pass 15 and up to 20 centimeters as possible. The northern half of the province with just a few isolated showers along the coast. Inland, chilly for the northeastern corners with highs just up to minus 18. Heavy snowfall still for the morning hours for much of the southern interior. Higher elevations and extending into the southeastern corners. And then we are looking at a few isolated showers along the northern, western and southern regions of the island but most areas along the south coast. A pleasant day for both our Monday, Tuesday. Very similar. A little bit cooler on Wednesday and we could see a few wet flurries in the mix. Nathan? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, a fearless shopper stopped a Campbell River shoplifting suspect in his tracks on Saturday. You going to pay for that? Huh? You going to pay for that? Yeah. Where? Huh? You going to pay for it? 
here it is. It happened around noon at the local Walmart. This man was observed pushing a loaded shopping cart out of the store. Another man asks him if he's going to pay for the items. Then, when he almost cuts off a woman while trying to exit the cart and with a bike, she confronts him. As you see there, the suspect eventually grabs his backpack from the cart and rides away on his bike with the woman complaining that people like him just jack up the prices for everybody else. Campbell River RCMP are investigating and they're waiting to hear back from the person who posted this video. Last December, a security guard at the same Walmart was stabbed by a suspect who fled the store with several TVs. Wow. Incredible that was caught on video. RCMP are not encouraging customers to do that, but commending the bravery of that customer. He is as uh, fierce yeah. as an NFL linebacker <laughs> no during the playoffs. Excellent yeah. transition. What Have a night for place. football. Yes, uh, <laughs> the two fantastic NFL playoff games today, just like last Sunday. But uh, top story has got to be Canada's men's uh, national soccer team. They did it again, 2-0 over the United States. That's five straight wins in World Cup qualifying in Canada. All of a sudden, this men's team, I mean, the women won the Olympics. They've been at the top for many years. Now it's the men's turn, and they're an exciting, quality team. And uh, it's not official, but, hey, they're going to they're gonna be at the World Cup for the first time in what? 36 years coming up. So exciting stuff. Incredible. All right. Thanks for that, Barry. Also ahead, feeding those in need amid rising food costs. We can manage just fine, but a lot of people can't. How the community fridge concept continues to expand through the Okanagan. It is another sign of growing food insecurity in the province. Another community fridge is set to open in the Okanagan, this time in Penticton. As Taya Fast reports, the fridge will provide barrier-free access to food and hygiene products. Community fridges are popping up all around the Okanagan, and Penticton will soon be home to another one. I think Penticton, like any other community, small community especially, a lot of people are struggling between inflation and the pandemic and people to struggling to make ends meet. Allison and Dave were inspired by the Lake Country and Kelowna community fridges and have decided to take on their own. We see how much groceries go up every week we shop and we can manage just fine, but a lot of people can't. And we figured we must have a role in that. We can help. The community fridge is the barrier-free place where people can access food and sanitary products 24-7. And all the items are donated by the community. We already have places that are reg ready to donate once we get going because there's a huge surplus of food that is thrown out. Now they are currently working with some local nonprofit organizations to decide on a location in downtown Penticton, but they are hoping to have the fridge up and running in the next couple weeks. It's good being downtown. I think it will serve the, uh, the, the, the population we want to serve well. We're soliciting donations from local building supply places, this sort of a thing, just to kind of give us materials to get going. Once we have that, I would assume we could have the thing up within oh, a week or two, perhaps. 
This will be their second community project as they already have a little free library and bench outside their home. I realized this, this would be a really interesting thing, um, to some degree a fun thing, but also a very necessary thing to get involved in. So this, this will be our what will keep us busy for the next while. TFS Global News, Penticton. Well, if you're looking for an alternative way to motor up Chesterfield Avenue, the city of North Vancouver may have an answer in store. The city is set to allow e-scooters starting tomorrow if the province approves. It's part of a plan that may eventually see the motorized devices all over the North Shore. Technically, e-scooters are not permitted under B.C.'s Motor Vehicle Act, so the three communities on the North Shore are piloting their use under strict rules. E-scooters will only be allowed on local roads, bike lanes and multi-use paths. Riders will have to be at least 16 and wear a helmet and will not be allowed on sidewalks. And there's more and more, you know, whether they be e-scooters or other micromobility um, uh, products coming online, that so people are using them so i think this pilot is going to be able to allow people a to do it legally and b for us to be able to collect that data and really look at you know what is working well what's not working well where are some conflict and of course the whole point of this is to make sure that people are moving as safely as i said and efficiently as possible barry's back with a full sports cast after this break and later it's rejection upon rejection it's uh, that's just part of the game a BC man's game design pursuit that's proving board game popularity passes the test of time. Yeah. Fall in love with the magnificent Orca. At the Royal BC Museum exhibit Orcas, Our Shared Future. Dive into the science, the currents of environmentalism, popular culture and indigenous beliefs to gain a new appreciation of how orcas and humans are inextricably connected. Today, one in three Canadian children are at risk of going to school hungry. That's why Global News and Grocery Foundation are partnering for hashtag Toonies for Tummies, benefiting student nutrition programs for kids in our community. Visit globalnews.ca slash Toonies for Tummies for info. Our BC is brought to you by London Drugs. Get your 2022 Pink Shirt Day merchandise now at London Drugs. All right, a busy night in sports, Barry. You're here for the full highlights. Mm-hmm. Start off some soccer. Thanks, Nithu. It's uh, not official yet, but it's going to happen. Canada's men's team is going to qualify for the World Cup in Qatar this November. It's just a matter of time. Even without Alfonso Davies for a second straight match, Canada put on another brilliant display, this time on home turf in Hamilton, Ontario, beating the Americans 2-0 for their fifth straight win in qualifying and inching closer to clinching a spot in the World Cup for the first time since 1986. A cold but sunny day in Hamilton, about minus five, not nearly as chilly as Edmonton, and no snow, and a much better pitch for Canada to show their skill. But it was windy, and the U.S. goal kick from Matt Turner gets held up in that wind, and Canada jump on it, check out the transition, a long, accurate header, and then Kyle Laren, the savvy give-and-go, and Laren with the wonderful finish into the back of the net, his 23rd career goal for Canada, most ever breaking the record he had shared with Dwayne De Rosario. Canada has got some world-class finishers, and they take the lead 1-0. Late first half, U.S. corner kick. This should have been a goal, but Canadian goalkeeper Milan Borian with a spectacular save off the Weston McKenney header. Borian has made key save after key save during qualifying. Huge momentum keeper for Canada, 1-0 at half. Second half, Canada looking for more. Jonathan David with the shot. Stop. Laren looking for another, but this time 
time. Matt Turner comes up big for the USA, remains 1-0. But it could have been two, and Laren is all over the place. But in extra time, the former Whitecaps, Sam Atakubi, showing he's world-class, too, bursts in and from 20 yards out, blasted in. No snowbank to dive in to celebrate like Edmonton, but the crowd goes wild, and what a performance by Canada. Fifth straight win in qualifying. They're in first place with just four matches to go. 2-0 the final over the U.S. The mission's been to be the first to qualify and win every game. That's it. That's, that's all we ever set. So you just got to get the feet back on the ground. We've got El Salvador in two and a half days' time. We've got to get on a flight back into the heat and see if we can uh, book our place to Qatar. So Canada remains at the top with just four matches to go. They're at Costa Rica Wednesday. Costa Rica played at Mexico, uh, or at El Salvador rather, not Costa Rica. Uh, Mexico drew with Costa Rica today nil-nil. So Canada now up by four points over the U.S. and Mexico. NFL Conference Championship Sunday in the AFC. Chiefs and Bengals from Arrowhead. It was all Chiefs in the first half. Patrick Mahomes escaping the pressure. He is uh, the best in the league at that. Maybe he's taken over from Russell Wilson in this department. Then finds Travis Kelsey. Man, so elusive. Five-yard touchdown. Chiefs really did look unstoppable in the early going. 14-3. Casey's offense keeps going. Mahomes to McCole Hardman at 21-3 Kansas City. And the Bengals looked in big trouble. No one comes back from 18 points at Arrowhead. But just before half, Joe Burrow with the quick hitter to Samaji Pirine, and he does the rest. A 41-yard touchdown. That was a big play. The Bengals back in business, and their defense did stop KC from scoring late. So it was 21-10, and since uh, he had some momentum. Third quarter, while the Bengals' defense continued to get stops, Burrow to Jamar Chase for the touchdown. The two-point conversion tied it at 21. In the fourth, after the Bengals took their first lead, Chiefs on the final play of the game trying to send this to overtime, and Harrison Butker does just that, drills the 44-yarder. So for the second straight week, the Chiefs go to overtime. And just like last week, they won the coin toss. And when they won the coin toss uh, last week, they beat Buffalo. But today, Holmes' deep pass is picked off. The Bengals' defense stepping up yet again at crunch time. Since he ran the ball a few times, got into position. Evan McPherson lines it up from 31 yards out. And the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl for the first time since 1989 and just the third time ever after beating the Chiefs 27-24 in overtime. NFC Championship just finished up in L.A. All NFC West matchup, Rams and 49ers. Second quarter, Matthew Stafford to who else? Cooper Cup, best receiver in the NFL this year. Another great grab for the touchdown, 7-0 L.A. But the Niners also get a big play from a speedy receiver. Debo Samuel takes the quick hitter from Jimmy Garoppolo and then turns on the Jets, a spectacular 44-yard touchdown. He dives in to the end zone. 49ers led this one 10-7 at the half, and they stretch the lead in the third quarter. Garoppolo to big George Kittle, who hauls it down in the end zone for the touchdown. 17-7 San Fran, a lot of Niners fans at the, at the stadium in L.A. Early fourth, Rams get closer, though. Stafford to Cooper Cup again. Always gets open, 11-yard touchdown, back to a three-point game. Rams tied it with a field goal, and then with just uh, under two minutes to play, Matt Gay from 30 yards out, that's automatic. So 2017 Rams, 146 to go. Garoppolo with plenty of time to tie it or win it, but his pass is tipped by his own receiver and picked off 
and the Rams win it 20-17. So L.A. will play the Super Bowl in their home stadium two weeks from tonight versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Australian Open men's final, 35-year-old Rafa Nadal meeting second seed Daniil Medvedev. The word epic gets thrown around a lot in sports, but this was epic. Medvedev was at his best in the first couple of sets, had an answer for everything Nadal threw at him, won the first set 6-2, and then battled hard in an incredible second set to take in a tie break. Still, the fans in Melbourne have not taken to him. They love Rafa and the Spaniard dug deep. Not many are a bigger warrior in tennis than Rafa. He took the third set, got some momentum, and in the fourth, how about this wicked winner from the baseline? He's got that snarl, takes the fourth set, and we are going the distance. Fifth set as we cross the five-hour mark of the match. Rafa with more magic as he will hit the forehand winner down the line. It was five all in the fifth. Rafa then broke Medvedev to go up 6-5, and then on match point, Nadal would not be denied yet. Did he do that? Rafa wins his second Aussie Open, his first since 2009, and it's his record, 21st Grand Slam title. One more now than Federer and Djokovic. Rafa coming off a long rehab for a foot injury, and to win it now is very special to him. It's just amazing. No, being honest, uh, one month and a half ago, I didn't know if I will be able to be back on the tour playing tennis again and today I am here in front of all of you having this trophy with me and you really don't know how how much I fighted to be here. Uh, probably one of the most emotional months in my in my tennis career and uh, having the huge support that I received uh, during the that three weeks is is just uh, gonna stay in the in my heart for the rest of my life so many many thanks. Amazing stuff. The Canucks have two more games before the All-Star break. Tomorrow night in Chicago and then Tuesday in Nashville. Canucks were fortunate to get a point last night in Calgary, losing one nothing in overtime. Thatcher Demko is outstanding. And the penalty kill was stout, killing off a five-minute major and three other penalties. But other than that, it was bad. Offensively, it was a no-show. Just 17 shots and not nearly enough urgency for Bruce Boudreau. It was like we were skating in quicksand all night long. And... Uh, um, I don't know what the reason was. Um, we'll try to find that out tomorrow. But uh, it definitely didn't have anywhere near the energy that we had when we played Winnipeg. They, they clogged up quite a bit on us. Um, we, don't, we can't get to our forecheck. Uh, I think we can struggle a little bit. But, you know, having one or two shots about halfway through the game isn't just, just isn't going to do it. Abbotsford Canucks lost uh, in Manitoba 5-3. Spencer Martin has been sent back to Abbotsford, but he did not play in that game today in Winnipeg. NHL today, Kings and Penguins. L.A., one of those teams the Canucks will need to catch to make the playoffs. Pens were down 3-1 in the third, but Brian Rust scored a couple in a four-minute span. This one on the power play, so it's 3-3, but the Kings... Go back in front. Trevor Moore sprung on the breakaway. Goes top shelf on Delta's Tristan Jari. Moore's second of the game. Kings win 4-3. They lead the Canucks now by nine points. They have played two more games. That is it for sports. Back to you. All right. Thanks so much, Barry. And we'll be right back with what a father's 17-year design pursuit says about the popularity of a good old-fashioned board game.
While video games may be dominant, but a Vancouver man has proven over the years the enduring popularity of board games. Jay Durant has more in tonight's This is BC. Uh, this is like a pyramid without the t tip to it. Jay Cormier is making sure family game night stays alive. He's been designing board games for the past 17 years, inspired by his memories growing up as a kid. I'm playing uh, just random, you know, Trivial Pursuit or Paul Economy. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm going to have to force an election. Introducing that's a Canadian uh, Monopoly type game. It was hilarious. Can't we work this out? To date, he's had close to two dozen games printed and countless others turned down. It's just, it's rejection upon rejection. It's, uh, that's just part of the game. This place is 560. But he's found ways to stand out at massive conventions, making his pitch to the publishers. You can't imagine how big these things are. It's just like football fields full of just game companies with booths that you're, you know, going up and down and just seeing all these new games. They call themselves the Goonies. Some of Cormier's games have drawn on classic characters from pop culture, like his Goonies game. Well, Mikey kind of is the leader and he's kind of like the one motivated to get everything going and... Wow, you guys realize what we could do? Others dabble in the thrill of the hunt. That's the board. Like his latest release, Mind Management. A shadowy organization that uses highly trained psychic agents. Like maybe I get points for matching certain colors. Junk so Art has been his biggest hit. It's a reverse Jenga selling close to 50,000 units. Nah. There's an Oscars type award night in the board game industry. Spiel des Jahres when they announce the world's best board game each year. But Cormier is just hoping to have a year round consistent seller. An evergreen game, that's what it's called, evergreen game. Evergreen game is a game that a game store will always keep in stock. So everybody wants to design an evergreen game. There's tough competition, even as twin boys are naturally drawn to video games. But in this house and so many others, games night at the dining room table is still going strong. Jay Durant, Global News. <laughs> and if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people should know about, you can email your to this is BC at globalnews.ca. Look like it was a good day to stay inside and play some board games today. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but it pursuit, is, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it's going to brighten up. Uh, the first uh, few days for back to work in school, we've got some bright spots. Temperatures will be pleasant. Wednesday, a touch cooler. We could see some wet flurries, uh, but dry conditions for our Monday morning. All right. Looks great. Thanks so much. And thank you all for joining us. Krista Dow will be here at 11. Have a great night.